This is episode number 104, Shred Girls with Molly Herford. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. Bikes are a vehicle for all of these life lessons and just learning about friendship and learning about yourself and really learning about confidence in yourself, I think is definitely the big theme of the first book. I am so pumped that you guys are here listening to this podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of my community and for sharing the show and all the things you've been learning with your friends. It's been really cool to see your takeaways and man, 104 episodes. There's been a lot of things that we've both learned together through this podcast journey so far. I hope you guys liked my first edition of Crush It Mondays, the podcast that I released on Monday. And it's something I'm going to try out. It's five minutes of a contemplation, a habit, an insight, something that I'm implementing into my life to get our week off to a good start. And something awesome about this week is the book Shred Girls just came out. And if you're a cyclist and you enjoy reading about cycling or listen to podcasts about cycling, you've probably heard of today's guest, Molly Herford. Molly is like my soul sister. She even married a Canadian guy, Peter Glassford, who is a coach and moved to Canada. She's the author of four books, the creator of theoutdooredit.com, a certified coach, co-host of the Consummate Athlete Podcast, which I personally listen to and I've also been a guest on, a badass cyclist and runner, writes for several popular mainstream magazines like Outside Magazine and Bicycling Magazine, and most recently, her latest book, Shred Girls, is officially out. Her mission is to get girls and women to embrace wellness and adventure. This book is pretty awesome because I don't even think there are any books about female cyclists, especially younger female cyclists. Molly is a self-proclaimed comic book nerd and always wanted to create her own superheroes. She always had the idea of Shred Girls percolating in the background and finally brought it to life. The first of four books, Lindsay's Joyride, is a middle grade read about how a group of girls get into BMX, the tricks they learn, the relationships they have, finding their inner superpowers, and is guaranteed to teach the readers about the confidence that you can gain from participating in sports. What's more is not only has Molly created these awesome books, but she has created a really great online community at shred-girls.com where she writes real-life stories about amazing women who are inspiring cyclists and how parents can help their daughters get into cycling. Their release party, their launch party is at a BMX indoor place where girls can come ride. So she's really taking lots of steps to help create a community that extends far past this book. In today's episode, we talked about a number of things, but first I wanted to start out with who is Molly Herford, because a lot of times we talk about the book, but we don't learn a lot about the author, and Molly is pretty rad. We talked about how to keep girls in sports, the characters in Shred Girls and how Molly created them, how to make friends even as an adult, what Molly learned about herself through writing these books, how parents can be more involved in their kids' lives, and real-life Shred Girls on shred-girls.com. 
The book Shred Girls is officially out, so you can get it as a gift for somebody. You can get it for yourself because, let's face it, even adults like middle grade reads. It's easy reading and it's really fun. Or you can get it for that little shred girl that you know, all of us know one. So check out the book. Before we get, I wanted to get into the show, I wanted to thank our podcast sponsor, Kuat Racks. Kuat Racks makes awesome outdoor and cycling specific racks. I was going to say bike racks, but they also make racks for kayaks and skis and all of your outdoor activities. I can't stress how easy these racks are to use and how lightweight they are and just how high quality they are. They're like the apple of the bike rack world. Another thing is they aren't some huge corporate conglomeration. You actually talk to people that work there and I've met the owners and it's just a really awesome company based out of Springfield, Missouri. So if you're in the market for a new bike rack or you want to upgrade your bike rack, go to kuatracks.com, K-U-A-T racks.com. A couple other things going on this week. I am racing the Marathon National Championships in Texas on Saturday. And I'm a little bit nervous about this race. So Marathon is 50 mile and 50 mile is a bit shorter than the races I've been focusing on for the last five to seven years. I've really been focused on the 100 milers or for you non-mile people, 160K races or seven-day stage races. So a 50-mile race, which is typically around three and a half hours, feels short. So I've actually changed my training the last three to four weeks specifically to try and give me some high-octane fast power for this race. And I've I'm really proud of my effort. I've worked really hard to work on those VO2 and those high intensity efforts. And they're really uncomfortable for me because that's kind of the area where I avoid. And it's been really rewarding to see some really positive results from those workouts that I've been doing. I've been using the Trainer Road app and I actually have been doing those key workouts inside, even though you can ride outside, because from a confidence perspective, I like being able to see the numbers and see the repeatability. And then I go right outside afterwards. So it's been really cool to watch that part of my fitness grow and Whenever you're going into a race, especially a race big like the national championships, of course you want to go in and give your best effort and you want to think about that result that you want. In my case, I want to win. But there's going to be so many different women at this race that can win. And it's so cool to have that opportunity to line up with so many amazing women that work so hard. So the most important thing is to really focus on the work that you did to get to that point and the opportunity to just be there and let the cards fall where they may and just focus on doing your best with what you have. So that's my goal going into Marathon Nationals. Those are my process-based goals. I had process-based goals for the last month leading into this race, which I've been really proud of. So I just wanted to give you guys a quick update on that because it was really important for me to go through it. If you're enjoying the show, I would really appreciate it if you could leave us a quick little review on Apple Podcasts. I actually get notifications every week whenever people leave reviews. So I super appreciate it, you guys. And also, you are welcome to join my free Facebook group, Plant Powered Tribe on Facebook. So Anyone can join it. It's just about healthy habits and people talk about things like performance enhancing foods, weight loss, how to recover better, even habits like meditation. So it's just a really cool spot and you don't have to be a vegan or even eat a plant-based diet to be a part of this. Another thing is I have a cookbook that I released. It's a self-published cookbook called Plant Power Tribe and it's available on moxieandgrit.com. That's M-O-X-Y and grit.com. And it has about 25 recipes and they're kind of the recipes that I rotate through on a regular basis. 
I get a lot of emails from people asking me what I eat every day. And I figured this was the quickest and easiest way to say here, here's all the things that I regularly eat. They're really tasty. And I really wanted to focus on making the recipes simple and fast because I'm busy. I do a lot of different things and I don't want to be spending a lot of time cooking. So that has been one of the major focuses of this cookbook and also nutritional value. So I hope you guys enjoy it. There's been about a hundred people so far who have bought this cookbook and I just wanted to say thank you for your support. Okay, let's get into this week's awesome guest, Molly Herford. Molly, you're like my soul sister. Welcome to the show. I know. I feel like we've been leading these parallel lives for the past like decade. It's kind of bizarre. I know. Whenever you guys had me on your show, it was just so funny. We're like, wait a second. Like our lives are really similar and we do kind of like some of the same stuff. Like how cool. Yeah, except we ended up on the opposite sides of Canada, which is sort of a bummer. I know. Like we both moved to Canada for our... Are you married to Peter? I am. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. So you do a lot of different things all the things. You and Peter co-host a podcast called The Consummate Athlete, which is an amazing show that I've been binge listening to and I highly recommend everybody listens to. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I definitely want to get into like the the bulk of the show is going to be about your new book that is just coming out called Shred Girls. But I want to talk about Molly as well, because I kind of feel like, especially with something like this, like there could be some more things that people could know about you personally that would help them be even more excited about the book too. Well, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, so like more recently, you're you've been training for like 50k running races, but like you've been team were you the team manager of Aspire Racing? Yeah, so I was the team manager for Aspire Racing, which is the cyclocross team with the uh, recently retired Jeremy Powers. He actually just announced his retirement. I think it was yesterday or oh, wow. 2 days ago, which is, you know, a little heartbreaking. He's one of the first pros that I ever interviewed when I first started in, you know, writing about cyclocross, which is how I got into writing about bikes. So it feels like the end of an era, especially then I spent three years traveling around the world with him and with Ellen Noble, you know, as they raced and I kind of herded the cats, as we say. Yeah. Like, so you've, you've done that. You've written for like bicycling outside magazine, like name some of the, like you've written for so many magazines. (laughs) I think pretty much at this point, if it's a magazine that's about bikes, I've probably written for it. You know, I've done stuff with Dirt Rag and with Canadian Cycling. I've been doing a lot of stuff with them lately, which is super fun. I think there aren't any publications I can think of that I haven't written for in the cycling world. And then I've written a fair bit about running lately, too. I do a bunch for Map My Run, and I've done some stuff for Canada's Running Magazine, which is really cool. Yeah. And you've done like cycling, like Ironman triathlons, like now you're doing like 50K running races. Yeah. That's the other thing. It's just like every cycling discipline. I have even, you know, I've raced on the track. I've dabbled a tiny bit in BMX. I've, yeah, raced a couple Ironmans. Triathlon is how I got my start. Although I usually don't tell that to a cycling audience. I feel like they judge me on it a little bit. No judging (laughs) everyone. (laughs) I remember showing up to my first team ride at the Rutgers cycling team and I was just in it to get faster for triathlon. I had no interest in racing bikes and I showed up in, you know, Sophie gym shorts, you know, the kind that you used to like fold over yes. twice at the waist. Yeah. Like that and a t-shirt. I and they're all those. in I know. It's that's probably a good thing. <laughs> Showed up in that and I was just like, of course this is what you wear to ride bikes in, because this is, you know, what I have. And they're all in their lycra. And they're just like, oh God, we need to lend you bib shorts immediately. 
and yeah, I just, I fell in love with cycling that way, but now I've kind of come back to running in a weird circuitous turn of events. Yeah. And like, what made you decide to do that? Honestly, funny enough, Aspire Racing, you know, I'm traveling all over the world with these cyclocross people, but you don't always have time or the ability to bring your bike everywhere. And certainly not a lot of time during the day to get out for, you know, a three hour ride or something, but you can almost always pack in an hour long run. So I just started running a lot more in the last couple of years because of that. And being me, I'm like, oh, okay, how can I make this harder and more terrible for myself? I was like, I guess I could run a 50K, which honestly, it was legitimately just a someone asked me to do it for an article and I was a year ago and I was like, yeah, sure. I could do that. No problem. I know nothing about running distance. So yeah, I'll, I'll give that a shot. And I did it and I fell in love with it. So I have a race, a 50 K in New York three days before Shred Girls comes out. So I figure I won't have pre-race jitters because I'm so nervous about the book launch and I won't be as nervous about the book launch because I'll be so exhausted from the 50 K. So it all works out. It's a really great way to do it. And so are these 50Ks on the road? <laughs> no, all trails. And 50K, it doesn't sound that long if you just think about, you know, 31 miles. Okay. I mean, it's, it's long. To non-runners, that sounds really long. <laughs> <laughs> but when you add an elevation and all the ones I do are, are mountain runs. So the first one had, I think, 3,000 meters of climbing or like about 10,000 feet of climbing. So it was basically the hardest 50k that you could possibly imagine all on trail that was really swampy and boggy so it took a lot longer than it would take to run you know a road 50k well there's some really awesome trail running races my friend renee has this whole series called pace trail series and it's not only in the okanagan it's like in the kootenays there's just one in Kelowna over the weekend but she does like lots of these 50ks and then I have a funny story to tell you, and maybe this will pique your interest. So in Squamish, there's a weekend where the first day is a 50K trail run, and the second day is a 50-mile trail run. And you can do each one individually, or you can do both as one category. And we were out just riding that day, and it was like insane what these runners were doing. And that was the first time I thought to myself, I kind of want to try this. Like, this looks awesome. So you should come do those. Yeah. Hey, why don't we both do them together like <laughs> next year? There we go. Put some we'll get skin you on in the, the game. 50K. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've actually heard of that race before, though. And because when we were out for, I think, Ironman, because we did Ironman and Whistler. So people were talking about it because obviously if you're racing Ironman out there, you're probably going to do something like a 50K. So we heard a lot about how great it is. All right. So you've written four books already. And what are those books? Yeah, so my first one was Mud, Snow, and Cyclocross. And it looked at just um, basically where the cyclocross scene was in the U.S. right ahead of when we hosted Worlds back in 2013. So, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about it as Jeremy Powers announced his retirement. I was like, oh, my gosh, everyone that I wrote about in that book, barring, I think, Jeff Kabush might be the only one of the elite men that I interviewed that's still racing and I think Katie Compton is the only elite female that's still racing. I firmly believe that if I was to rewrite that book in like 20, like 2030, Katie Compton will still be racing. <laughs> so I, I can just reuse that chapter. So that was the first book that I wrote. The second one was, and so this is editions one and two are sort of my second and third book. Saddle Sore, Ride Comfortable, Ride Happy. So it's all about lady parts and the bike. 
And as per my Sophie Jim short story, I realize a lot of women get into cycling and no one tells them about chamois and bib shorts and how much better bib shorts are than regular shorts or what to do when they get a saddle sore. So I had women coming up to me at races after I was in cycling journalism and I was racing and they'd be like, hey, do you know what to do with this? And I swear to God, I've had at least 10 women drop their pants <laughs> and show me a saddle sore. And I'd be like, I don't know, see a doctor. And eventually I realized there weren't any resources available back in 2014, this was, for women that had these questions. So I ended up asking on just Twitter, like, oh, does anyone have any like lady part questions? And I got like 60 emails like each one more awkward and uncomfortable for them than the next. So I ended up writing a book about it and then releasing a, a second edition that got even more in-depth on stuff and added a chapter for guys because, hey, new guys riding bikes have trouble too. Some of them don't know what to do if they're chafing. And then my, my I guess, most recent book was Fuel Your Ride, which is a cycling nutrition book that kind of went through on and off bike nutrition, really prioritizing the off bike nutrition because I really believe that if you don't eat well off the bike there's nothing you can do for yourself on the bike that's going to make everything better I love that and I agree 100% so where yeah, can people get those books they're all on Amazon yeah Amazon and then if you go to my website theoutdooredit.com there's a billion links to all of them and you know some of my best advice from the women's book and best advice from the fuel your ride book so you can kind of get a sneak peek of what they look like how did you get into writing writing it's like really confusing for people writing writing got it yeah I got into writing when I was like two years old I've never wanted to be anything else it never oh, wow. occurred to me that I would be anything else <laughs> <laughs> Although weirdly, so when I was like six or seven, my mom showed me a book that my great, great, great uncle self-published in the early 90s. And it was called Frisco or Bust. And it was a story of him in 1923 riding his bike across the country. So That's insane. he was... <laughs> He might have actually been the first yeah. guy to ride across the country from New Jersey, from Atlantic Ocean to Pacific Ocean. And he wrote this little memoir about it. And for some reason, it never clicked with me that I wanted to ride bikes or bike pack or do any of that kind of stuff. It just occurred to me how cool, like, just how cool it was that he wrote a book. So apparently I've, like, accidentally followed even more in his footsteps with the biking. But the writing of the book was always the big deal to me. And like, how soon after starting to do articles for magazines did you decide that you're going to write your first book? It was actually a few years because it was a pretty hectic, you know, I started writing for magazines when I was 17. I scammed my way into an internship at L Girl magazine, which is like the teen version of L. So I started there and wrote all through college and, you know, just didn't have time to even think about writing a book because honestly you know, you know this, the freelance journalism life is not really one that allows for a lot of free time if you want to make enough money to pay rent and eat, Oh yeah, especially you gotta when, you're, when you're first starting out. So it wasn't really until I think it was 2011 when I was, you know, on a training block down in Georgia that I started writing out a book proposal for the cyclocross book and happened to run into someone who worked at a publishing company, a small one down in Georgia, Deeds Publishing. And he was, I mentioned I was working on this proposal and he's like, you know, I'm a publisher, right? And I was like, I did not know that. What is your email address? <laughs> That's amazing. So like 
this journey, this diverse journey of like all the different sports and the traveling and writing, it's all led you to where you are today, which is a few weeks away, which this podcast will actually come out right coinciding with your book launch to the launch of Shred Girls. And when you told me about this book, I was super excited. I'd love for you to tell the audience kind of where you got the idea from and how you developed it into this book. And it's actually a series of books, right? Yeah. So the first one that comes out on May 7th is Shred Girls, Lindsay's Joyride. How I got the idea. So 15 years ago, I had the idea that I really wanted to write this book about a girl who really thought she was a superhero and just so firmly believed it and just wanted to be a superhero so badly that she actually ended up developing superpowers. I was a comic book nerd. I was the least athletic kid you could possibly imagine. So I didn't want her to actually have to do any work. I just wanted her (laughs) to develop superpowers. So flash forward, you know, 10 years after that, I was working at bicycling and I was interviewing a couple of younger girls as part of this article that I was just thinking about that was how do we get and keep girls in cycling? And so I interviewed a bunch of different girls and the reasons they were staying in cycling you know, we're pretty diverse. One girl told me she just really liked to win. I was like, oh, you are in for a rough career. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a couple of girls told me that, you know, they found their best friend through cycling. One girl told me, you know, it made her more confident. And one girl who happened to be at a BMX park told me jumping made her feel like she could fly. So as I'm writing out all of these notes, I was like, well, the story is not really there as far as like a really deep dive journalistically. And to be honest, it did not get uh, picked up at our pitch meeting. So I had all these notes and I realized that it wasn't necessarily about any one of the girls that was the really like meaty part of the story. It was this idea of, you know, how do we get and keep more girls in cycling? So I was like, well, the way I do that is writing and girl, you know, 13 year olds aren't reading an article in bicycling magazine, but (laughs) maybe they would pick up a book that had a really cool looking girl, you know, shredding on a BMX bike. When I was a kid, I would read Babysitter's Club and I started babysitting. I read Nancy Drew and I wanted to solve mysteries in my neighborhood. So I was like, well, maybe if I can make BMX and, you know, eventually it's going to be other bikes in the next in the next book it's downhill mountain bikes it's going to be cyclocross in the third if i can make biking seem really cool maybe we can get more girls on bikes and keep the ones that are you know riding as eight or nine year olds keep them riding because the dropout rate is ridiculous when girls hit those preteen years the statistics on how many girls stop playing sports in general and riding bikes specifically are kind of crazy and I think part of it is because the girls don't see themselves in bicycling magazine or in anything on bikes, right? Like when was the last time you saw a picture of a, you know, 12 or 13 year old girl riding bikes, like on the cover of girls life magazine or something. It just doesn't like posters on like when I think about like when I was that age, posters on the wall were like of tennis players and soccer players. And like, Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that like cycling was a sport. Like I thought I, I just had no idea. So like this, this is really cool. Yeah. My dad raced bikes back in the day. He did triathlon. And I legitimately had no idea that bike racing was a sport when I grew up, even though my dad had actually raced. Yeah. And like, why do you think little boys stay in the sport, though, or in sports, whereas little girls don't? 
I mean, I think it's if we have like eight hours to talk about the societal <laughs> views of masculine and feminine, um, you know, I think it's just we don't really push it that much like we do with boys. You know, like I was lucky my dad took me out and, you know, took me hunting, took me surfing, took like just kind of did all that stuff with me. But, you know, I happened to be lucky. I know a lot of little girls that their dads wouldn't take them out and do that kind of stuff. The only reason I rode a bike as a kid was because I had a young male neighbor who rode and, you know, he got his training wheels off. So I needed my training wheels off immediately. And I just didn't have that many little girls around me. And yeah, I honestly don't know why we, for some reason, don't encourage girls the way we encourage boys to ride. But you know, even if you look at, uh, you know, NICA, their numbers for girls, they're not great. And we're in 2019 and they're doing a ton to bring more girls into mountain biking, but the numbers are still really low. You know, it's the same, you go to the BMX park, you might get a couple girls that are kind of banded together and have this like really cool little crew, but a lot of other little girls walk in and are just like, oh boy, there's no girls here. Run away, run away. Run away. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm very much hoping to change those statistics. And this is just kind of the way that I figured out that I could maybe make some change. And I've had a couple parents read early issues of the uh, the early edition of the book, we'll say. And it's gotten a couple little girls riding and equally exciting, it's gotten a couple of young cyclists reading. So it's kind of my like double whammy. I'm like, yes, I'm getting cyclists to read more and I'm getting bookworms to ride more. So, yeah, very exciting. Yeah. And I think like having clubs surrounding that, because like I think back to when I was that age or like in elementary school and I remember I was like a tomboy. I played basketball every day with the boys at recess and I actually never wanted to play with the girls because they were never doing any of the things I wanted to do. But I was in Girl Scouts and I hated being a Girl Scout because I wanted to be in the Boy Scouts because I didn't want to do the sewing and the cooking. And it's okay if people like that, but I didn't like that there wasn't another option. So I don't know what it's like nowadays, like back in my day. But, you know, <laughs> it's pretty cool, though, that, you know, even in high school, there is the Nike League and mm -hmm. that there are so many incredibly amazing, strong, humble great female leaders in our sport these days like it's just amazing yeah exactly and i mean groups like little bella's mountain biking is doing awesome stuff yeah. it's so cool to see but i think you know to me the other really cool thing is if you can get a couple of girls together so you know when i'm doing i've done a lot of shop talks where i have women come in and we have women's night and you know we talk about all kinds of like saddle sores and pads versus tampons and all of those topics but and, you know, they walk away having learned something about that. But I think more importantly, after the talks, you know, we're all sipping our wine and I'm finally calmed down <laughs> and I'm hearing them and they're all like making plans to ride together and they didn't know each other before. I think, you know, what keeps girls in sport is finding other girls to ride with. And, you know, a lot of the cases. So hopefully this book will make, you know, a few little girls start forming little shred girls clubs of their own. That's that's the dream anyway. Yeah. And I mean, I do want to get into the book a bit more, but I really like the Shred Girls website because there are so many resources, not just for girls, but for anybody. It's definitely like directed towards girls and women. But that is, I think, an amazing place to get people together and so much opportunity there. Thank you. Yeah, that was a really important thing to me because I realized, you know, OK, great. I'm writing these books, but 
if you're a young girl trying to get into cycling, there aren't that many resources that really speak to you. You know, it's not like bicycling magazine isn't featuring 12 year old girls, which is not their fault. That is not their demographic. You know, major cycling publications are just not speaking to if you're a, you know, 13 year old training, here's like a decent rough training plan or how you should be thinking about nutrition, you know? So I wanted to make a space where young girls, you know, or really anyone could come for kind of these good beginner style articles and interviews and everything, but also so girls could see themselves and see who they could end up being. So, it's, you know, it's a lot of, I think the youngest girl I have on there is actually six years old and shredding BMX has amazing advice, like could school me in any competition up to, you know, I think probably 40 years old is the oldest woman I have doing an interview on there. So it's such a huge range and pros, casual riders, amateurs, girls that are just getting started and have some advice on how to get past the terror of just getting started in something and girls that have advice on how to get over a log. So all different types of stuff. Yeah. And like having a space to build that community where you could even potentially pair up mentors with some of these younger riders or even like older riders who are just new to the sport, like having that mentorship and even like a forum where people can just help one another and have this like sort of non-competitive, awesome space where you can just be like, hey, like, am I supposed to wear underwear when I ride all the way up to like, I want to ride like the world's hardest downhill. Like, can someone give me advice on like, I'm trying to do this advanced feature? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Also, pro tip, no underwear with your chamois, if we weren't clear about that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd love to dissect a little bit some of these characters. And I think in order to do that, I need to ask you how you found the tone for this book, because it's it's kind of geared towards middle grade. And as a fellow, I don't want to even put myself in the same category as you when I call myself a writer, but like as a writer, like it would be really hard to even find the tone to speak to girls that age or, or people that age. I think part of it comes down to really, really great editors. <laughs> so that, that definitely helps. It's hard to say why I kind of ended up deciding on that age. I think a big part of it was realizing, okay, this is the age where we're losing girls in cycling. It's, you know, girls learn how to ride bikes when they're kids, but they stop riding them around 8 to 12 years old. So if we can keep them in for that chunk of time, they're going to be much better off later in life. So that was a big part of it. But also, I think I must just think like a 12-year-old or something, because that's that's just genuinely how I write. I'm actually trying to work on a young adult thing right now. And it's a lot harder. When you get into young adult, you have a lot like, I'm going to say, more complicated feelings. And you have to deal with a lot more intensive issues and stuff. And there's kind of like the joke amongst writers, I guess, that like middle grade, you maybe hold hands. Young adult, there's like maybe some like up the shirt action, but it's like not <laughs> condoned. <laughs> so you just have to deal with it. It's much more of a minefield to write any older. So I just think I must just still think in 12 year old terms. So like, can you tell us about each of the characters? I know they're introduced on the Shred Girls website as well, but like, what each person kind of represents and then how you decided or how you developed these characters, because I'm sure that there was a lot of like character sketching and things like that involved. Oh yeah. 
it took me a while to kind of come up with all of them and I've had people say like, oh, which one do you think you are? And I'm like, I'm all of them, obviously, like, which is kind of important because if you're going to write a book, you know, the next one is about Allie. This one's about Lindsay. The one after that's going to be about Jen. You kind of need to be able to get into all of their heads. You can't have one favorite. So they're all my favorites. So Lindsay is the first one and she's probably the most like, I guess, a 12 year old version of myself. She's a very shy, awkward bookworm. And she does actually kind of think she could be a superhero and wants to develop these superpowers in the beginning. And I I don't want to spoil it too much, but she does eventually realize that she can't actually have superpowers. But riding a bike is kind of equally cool. She gets to fly a little bit in the bike park and there is a little mystery she gets to solve. So she kind of gets to live her superhero dream, even though her cousin who ends up being their coach does not end up being a supervillain, which is very disappointing for her. So I I really relate to that deeply. Um, So yeah, she's, she's shy and just kind of not super confident or comfortable in anything about herself, whether it's you know, how she makes friends and how she feels about talking to people or how she feels in her own body, which is, again, something that I super relate to. I remember being very awkward at that age. I think I was, you know, a little more muscular for a young kid, especially a kid who didn't do any sports. And I remember feeling very, very weird about that in a time when Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen were the super trendy body types of our age group, we'll say. And, you know, a lot of the other little girls are much smaller than I was then. So I was feeling, yeah, very uncomfortable. And I feel like if I'd found cycling, I probably could have started to be happy about how my muscles worked and what they could do instead of just being kind of grumpy that they were there. So that's Lindsay. Allie is, I think, the more traditional, we'll say, quote unquote, tomboy of the three. So she's kind of the one you would expect to be into cycling. She has brothers that got her into it. But she's, I think, actually really complicated as well, because I think she's kind of trying to find herself outside of being just one of the guys and, you know, one of her brother's pack. So her kind of starting to relate to other girls is a really kind of challenging thing for her as well. And I mean, she's quite competitive and she actually crushes it on the bike. She might do pretty well in the competition that uh, ends the book. I'm not going to totally spoil that. (laughs) And then the last one is Jen, who's more of like the perfectionist of the bunch. So unsurprisingly, she was a roadie before she comes to the BMX park and she really likes winning. And she had a bit of a temper tantrum and maybe a bike throw and some stuff happened in the we'll call it like the prequel to the book that we won't get into until her own book and she gets to tell her story but she had some rough times with the fact that she might not win every race so this book is really about her learning that it's you know biking and love of cycling is about more than love of winning and you know you can have people that you compete with that can still be your friends. I mean, I've heard you say on many podcasts that I've heard you on, you know, the best part about cycling is, yeah, we're racing really, really hard against other women, but 
we're also hugging them at the end of the race and talking about how much fun we had and, you know, really getting along with them as friends, not just competitors. So she's she's the hardest one to write because I really understand where she's coming from, from the competitive side. And it's sometimes hard to make her seem sympathetic, but really, she's probably the one I relate to the most. Yeah, and that's such a really fun way. God, I'm blanking on the word. It's like not an allegory. It's like where you're like teaching life lessons through stories. What is exactly. it? Exactly. What is the literary word for that? Allegory would be more biblical, I think. Yeah. But... Uh, parable. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Yeah. yeah, and that's exactly it. Like bikes are sort of just the vehicle for all of these life lessons and, you know, just learning about friendship and learning about yourself and really learning about confidence in yourself, I think, is definitely the big theme of the first book. Yeah, and that's something that pretty much anyone that's done any endurance sport can personally attest to. And it's this is such a great way to teach people, especially girls that age, about those lessons without being like a teacher or like, here's your homework. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's that's been kind of a theme of, I mean, this type of book for forever, right? At Babysitter's Club is not really about babysitting. It's about this group of friends that gets together and, you know, deals with all of the problems of adolescence. And yes, it's through the lens of these wacky hijinks that happen while they're babysitting, but you still leave, you know, learning something about it. So I'm hoping that, you know, this series ends up being as a uh, long lasting as the babysitters club, I think like 300 books or something would be really nice. Yeah. And like, did you have to do specific psychology research to get even deeper into some of these characters and their tendencies? I've talked to a bunch of sports psychologists, especially a couple that worked with kids. We had one of them on the podcast, Tracy Stannard, and she was super helpful. I also spent a lot of time with kids, which for for me is admittedly like a little scary. I actually had gone to a master's program for English education and I was student teaching in seventh grade. And seventh grade was enough to convince me that I did not have what it takes to be a teacher. They are actual superheroes. I don't have that kind of patience. And 12-year-olds actually scare me quite a bit. So hanging out with them is a little intimidating for me. I'm not going to lie. It's an age where they're really figuring out who they are and, you know, trying different things and coming at communication in a lot of different ways. And it's it's challenging and it's it's really fun. So I did a lot of yeah, a lot of riding with youth groups. And now I actually teach teen yoga just to make sure that I'm staying in the, the headspace of that age range. I help coach cross country running at the local high school so I can just kind of still be hanging out with kids of that age. Yeah. And I mean, like you mentioned, some of the characteristics of some of the characters, insecurity, lack of confidence, trying to figure out where your self-worth comes from. Like these are all issues that do stem in childhood and adolescence. And I kind of feel like they can really even bloom even greater. Bloom might be not the right word for that because it makes it sound like a good thing, but get exacerbated in your 20s as you're racing. And I know that I've learned a lot about myself. I can definitely relate with all of those characters just like you can. And bike racing really taught me how to deal with all of those issues. And it wasn't until I found running and endurance sports that I found confidence. So I can really relate with these characters. And I think that, well, I want to ask you actually, why is it, do you think that endurance sports are what give us confidence over like a team sport? 
See, for that question to be answered well by me, I would have had to play a team sport. Oh, that's as a, good point. a child. <laughs> now, I was the kid that actually would pretend to throw up in order to avoid running the mile in school. <laughs> so, I mean, I can say all things considered. I mean, I was in I was in Girl Scouts. I've done team things before, so I kind of can think about this rationally, I guess. I think it's because endurance sport it's really you versus yourself. It's not you working with someone. It's not you versus another or your team versus another team. You're pretty raw and exposed out there, right? Like you kind of have to come to terms with yourself when you're in the middle of a mountain bike stage race and there's literally no one around or, you know, you're in the hour five of an Ironman and you're kind of contemplating if you should just pull over and maybe get in a van or something. (laughs) You kind of have to come to terms with yourself in a way that team sports don't really allow for. And I think that's why I like them. So <laughs> why I like endurance sports so much. And like, what are some things that you've noticed working with girls in this age about their relationships with each other? Because really, yeah, female relationships can be challenging sometimes. And I'm sure that you've seen lots of different scenarios. Yeah, It's really interesting, especially if I'm doing, uh, you know, I do some stuff with Nika now. And if I show up at a ride, you really you see even in a group of five, you still have these kind of clicks of like two of them know each other. The other two know each other. And then there's the one that doesn't know them and is kind of awkward and uncomfortable. And I always feel for her the the most because I'm like, that was me. That was me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, okay, so everyone needs to talk to this girl, but don't make her self-conscious about talking to her. (laughs) So it's it's interesting. And I think Nika has done a really, really, really good job of improving, I think, relationships between girls. It's a really team-focused atmosphere. So you don't, it kind of almost avoids the individual, like you're racing this person aspect and makes it much more fun and casual, just riding. We're maybe going to score you, but don't worry about it sort of thing, which I think is important for that age because it's really easy to fall into competitive traps then and not really understand how rankings work and how little they matter in high school. So they do a great job. But I was just helping Ellen Noble with her cyclocross quest. I'd done it the past two iterations of it. Wait, can you tell me what that is? Yeah. So Ellen has run three times this thing she calls the cyclocross quest, which is about it's a week long camp for girls. It's been ages 11 through 20, I'm going to say. This past one, we tried to go more like 15 to 18 was the age range. So we have you know, 12 girls living in a house. Uh, Last summer when we did it, we had 18 girls living in a house and it was all about cyclocross skills. This one was more of a road endurance camp to sort of prep for mountain bike and cyclocross. And that was in Tucson, Arizona back in March. And honestly, I was so blown away watching these 12 teenage girls who all could have been really competitive with each other you know, there's still a little bit of competitive nature, like that's fine. But cheering each other on up climbs and, you know, hanging out and, you know, I I don't want I hesitate to be like and braiding each other's hair. But you know what? It happened and it was amazing. You know, just talking about everything and, you know, sharing tips on how to do a certain skill on the mountain bike or, you know, their favorite in-ride food or, you know, the dinner that they love cooking at home. They're all just so open and sharing and giving. And it was 
honestly like the most heartwarming thing that I've ever seen. And I've seen them since and they're all staying in touch, even though they live all over the country. And I think, I don't know, maybe I was just like a weird kid or something, but it feels like it was different when I was younger. I did not have this many close females in my life. So I'm just blown away by it every time I see this happening. It's funny because there's actually like one of the hardest like scenes for me to wrap my head around in Shred Girls is where... Lindsay ends up asking the two girls to come over for a sleepover and it's like this really hard moment for her and I felt like it was really hard as I was writing it because I was like oh my gosh I can feel the terror that she would feel because I would feel that now as a 31 year old and I'm making this 12 year old do this (laughs) although maybe it's easier when you're 12 to ask someone to I think so. Like, we're all still have that mindset and those, like, feelings of, like, a 12-year-old girl. Like, even the men have those feelings. Like listen Exactly. Up, listen up, dudes. You still feel like a 12-year-old girl sometimes, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yeah. You know, I moved up here to Collingwood, Ontario uh, three years ago, say. And it wasn't until a year ago where the only friends I had were my husband's friends that kind of got forced to hang out with me. And then last year, I finally, you know, started stalking some women who run in this area on Instagram. And I actually just messaged and I was like, hey, can I hang out with you? Like, can I play? Can I come out and play? And, you know, they're amazing. And I run with them all the time now. And they're like the best friends. But if I hadn't actually just done that, it's not like they were going to stop me on the trail at some point and be like, wow, you're a really amazing runner. No one thinks that. (laughs) No one was going to do that. Uh, So yeah, I think you have to go first sometimes. Yeah, I think that's just a really great lesson from the book and for life is like how to how to make friends and how to be social because as you get older and you're not part of like groups, it actually gets harder. Definitely. And yeah, I say with a long thing that I was going off on. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. mostly you and I have had it a little tougher. We we shifted countries and came to totally new places and had to figure stuff out. So give us that that grace. Yeah, and we both, you know, most people make friends through work and we have very odd lifestyles that do not have a, a team at the office to go out to happy hour with. Yeah, it's funny you were mentioning Instagram, like I've been spending more time in Squamish and I've just been like, yeah, stalking girls that I want to ride with in Squamish. Been like, hey, like we should ride sometime. So I'm excited to start doing some of that because there's some super rad women there who are incredibly like badass technical riders that I want to learn from. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that social media is a really great spot where you can actually do that. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, we're kind of getting past that point where Instagram is just this place where you put your perfect pictures and nothing else. I think everyone's getting a little bit more honest, which makes I think easier to approach people a little yeah. bit if you're if you're not just saying, oh, my gosh, they look so amazing and they're winning everything and I can't hang out with them. Now you're you're getting to see a little bit more like behind the scenes. And I think that's helpful. So Shred Girls has some really fun illustrations in it. Like, what was the creative process around that? So the illustrator, Violet LeMay, is amazing. I swear to God, she must be in my brain or something. As soon as she sent me back. So I had made, you know, character outlines, basically, where you just describe each character in the most minute detail that you possibly can. And this is an embarrassing thing to admit. I love outfit descriptions. I'm obsessed with outfit descriptions. So that part was super easy for me. For some reason, I used to like narrate what 
you know, clothes my Barbies were wearing. Maybe this is why I like doing gear reviews so much now. <laughs> Tangential, but anyway. So yeah, wrote really, really, really intense descriptions of what they looked like. And when Violet sent back the original sketch, which is just the three girls together, it was honestly almost exactly what I had you know, just envisioned in my brain for what I wanted it to look like. They're fun. They're adorable. They're bright. They're just amazing. And the rest of the illustrations, it was really just a process with my editor and I just going through and saying, like, I think this would be a good scene to illustrate. I think this would. She would disagree with me. I would disagree with her. We finally came up with like a list of, I think, 25 that eventually got done. And I knew I wanted to have each chapter and you didn't get to see and you won't get to see till you see the new book. Each chapter starts with a training log. That's like a diary and it's got some like doodling on it and stuff. It's so cute. And what was the biggest thing that you learned about yourself while writing this book? Because writing is like this really amazing process where you end up learning more as you go deeper. So through writing these characters, what are some key things that you learned? man, I learned that I still have a lot of work to do on my own confidence and willingness to talk to people. That's for sure. You know, as I'm writing these characters, making these good decisions and, you know, strong finishes and doing these cool things, I'm like, oh, wait, I'm scared to do that. So maybe I should rethink how I'm existing a little bit. And I mean, honestly, writing is really freaking hard. Like, it's not an easy, supernatural. You don't just sit down and words just come out and like, boom, you have a book written in a week. It's a grind. So sometimes I really hated the characters, but I learned to get over it and forgive them for when they were being particularly difficult in a scene. (laughs) Which I think means I learned how to forgive myself when I was being particularly not interested in writing and I actually learned I need to take more breaks. Um, After I finished writing the draft of book two, we went to Costa Rica for 10 days and I tried really hard to not do a ton of work. And it was so nice. I came back and was able to outline book three in like a week. (laughs) It turns out a couple days off really, really changes your mindset on things. Yeah, a book I talk about a lot on the show is Peak Performance by Brad Solkins. And they, they have so many different stories about achievers like taking breaks and stepping away from their work and then coming back and just being so refreshed and it's so hard to do (laughs) a hundred percent i'm actually really excited about their new book too i haven't read it yet but i think it's it's even more diving into that that concept so i'm stoked on that well i interviewed brad and his podcast came out today so if you want to today meaning for those of you listening a couple weeks ago but (laughs) not today so if you want to check it out (laughs) Perfect. I've got something to listen to on my run tomorrow. (laughs) Awesome. So what advice do you have for the parents? Because I noticed on the Shred Girls website, there's a parents resources spot. Yeah, we actually have a couple of really cool parents who sort of offered a lot of their advice for getting kids to ride with you, which I think is really important because I think, you know, if you're a parent who loves riding bikes, it's really tempting to really push your kid into riding bikes with you, but that might not be the best thing for them. You know, you can set them up with everything they need for riding success, but you can't force them to go on rides with you. And honestly, maybe riding with you isn't the way that they're going to get into bikes. Maybe they'd rather ride with their friends and then maybe, you know, down the road, they'll want to ride with you more. So not forcing them to ride with you. And when, when you do ride with them, 
if you're a really great mountain biker, just remember, you know, what it was like to be a beginner and remember that their bodies are a lot smaller than yours. So them keeping up with you at like an easy pace is probably them going really hard. So if you want it to be fun, you have to make it easy and you have to like let them have those early wins. I've been doing a survey with parents and I think I have like 60 responses and a bunch of them are you know, I was like, oh, do your kids ride with you? And a lot of them say like, oh, I took them out a couple times and now they won't come out with me anymore. And I mean, I think part of it's, you know, maybe the kid just didn't have fun for whatever reason. But I think a lot of it is probably down to you maybe made it a little too hard and a little too challenging. And your child maybe did not appreciate that as much as they could have. <laughs> I'm laughing so hard because I have memories of, and bless his heart, my dad taking me out on like all of his activities, but he didn't really, I mean, he definitely had a compromise, but of course you don't want to compromise too much. So he'd be like, oh, you can go running with me, but you have to go like when I'm going and I'm going to go my pace. So it's like, I remember being in middle school, getting up at five in the morning and going running with him. And then I, I, I don't even think he ran with me. Cause of course, like if he's going to run my pace, he's not going to get a workout. And I remember my lungs burning and like crying while running at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, I think I lucked out that my dad stopped racing when I was born. And I mean, he was never professional or anything like that. He just raced for fun. He stopped racing when I was born and got very much out of shape. So when I first like I first got into cycling, be like, Dad, ride with me because he had an old bike and he'd get on and he would be, you know, as slow as I was because it had been a while since he rode. Man, my dad's a large man. My dad is about 5'10", and, like, he's going to get mad at me for saying it on a podcast. Probably, like, 260 pounds, 250, 260. Big guy. Man, he, first of all, he can go downhill like it's nobody's business. Obvious reasons. But he is the biggest gear masher. Like, he's, you know, a 40 RPM kind of guy. And the problem is I started riding with him on weekends when I was in triathlon. So I now consider a high cadence to be, like, 70 RPMs. Well, you know, we could get into a whole other podcast about cadence, but I'm actually a bit of a masher myself. So I actually think geeking out just temporarily, like for me, when I'm mashing, my heart rate doesn't have to go as high. So my cardiac system doesn't have to work as hard. So thank you. Yeah, we could go. We could geek out about this. So we'll just we'll just leave it. (laughs) I think we need to make like mashers anonymous T-shirts or something. (laughs) (laughs) Or every day I'm mashing. (laughs) Done. (laughs) Cool. So where's the best place for people to get this book? Because it just came out if you're listening to this podcast. Yeah, um, the best place is probably shred-girls.com. So that's the Shred Girls website. So while you're there, you can, you know, check it out and see all the other stuff. Um, And on there, I have links. So if you're listening from Canada, I have links to where you can buy it in Canada, where you can get it in Europe, and then obviously where you can get it in the U.S., um, so, yeah, I mean, wherever books are sold is the other answer. It's on Amazon for pre-order and it'll be available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Indigo, if you're in Canada, kind of all of the all of the usual suspects, basically. And I heard on one of your podcasts that you guys are going to be doing like a BMX thing. Can you talk about that event for those who can come? Yeah. So if you're anywhere near the greater Toronto area in Ontario on May 11th, so the day before Mother's Day, we're having a launch party at Joyride 150's Indoor Bike Park, which is the coolest place. So even if you can't come to the launch, you should definitely check it out. It's so rad. It's, I mean, obviously from Lindsay's Joyride, you can guess where I got the inspiration for the location of the first book. So we're really excited to be able to be doing an event there, you know, to kind of kick off the book. 
So if you're if you're around, it's five dollar entry for women and girls, which is really sweet. We're gonna have prizes and food and raffles and the book and some little mini clinics, and you can jump into the foam pit just like Lindsay does in the book, and it's gonna be a really amazing day. I interviewed a, B- a pro BMX racer named Josh Perry, and he was talking about riding his BMX bike into the foam pits, and I just thought that sounded awesome. I know it's so cool. I actually will admit I have not gotten up the courage to do that, but maybe that'll be like my launch party moment is like final moments of the party. I'm just going to do it. Yeah, I love it. Now you said it. Now you got to do it. Yeah, yeah. You heard it here here first. We'll see a picture of you like just going into the foam pit. (laughs) It's not going to be pretty. (laughs) Cool. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And you guys also check out the Consummate Athlete podcast and theoutdooredit.com if you want more from Molly and from her husband, Peter. Thank you so much for having me. This is super fun. Sweet. Thank you. Molly is awesome. She is so much fun to talk to. And man, she does so many different things. I forgot to mention that she's also a yoga instructor. So there's basically nothing that Molly can't do. Make sure that you check out her and Peter's podcast, The Consummate Athlete. And make sure that you also check out her book, shredgirls.com. You can buy it wherever books are sold. Thank you so much, you guys, for being a part of this podcast, for listening, for lending me your ears. And I hope you have an awesome week. Wishing you all the best success in your training adventures. And we'll see you back here on Monday.